If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Today on Soundtrack Alley Spotlight, I've got Eric Woods from Cinematic Sound Radio as we discuss the first Star Trek film, Star Trek The Motion Picture. We'll discuss some of the background on the film, a few key facts, and so much regarding the score by Jerry Goldsmith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy going where no man has gone before, as our show begins now. Hello, I am Randy Andrews, your host. As you've learned through the introduction, Eric Woods is here with me as we talk about Star Trek The Motion Picture. Eric, it's great to have you back on the show. It is great to be back, and uh, I hope uh, you're staying safe where you are. Absolutely. I'm in my apartment, and I can't go to the library to record. Nuts. So, yeah. But... We're doing this. Yes. We are going back to the original Star Trek, the motion picture today. When was your first time of seeing this movie? That is a very good question. I've been asked it many times and mm. I can't pinpoint the exact date, but I know it was much further down the line in my movie watching experience, uh, I Mine saw, too. yeah. So I saw star Trek two first, mm-hmm. pretty sure I saw, uh, search for Spock and, uh, the voyage home first as well. And then, and I might've caught bits and pieces of the motion picture on, on television, but it just was a film that was completely foreign to me when I picked up the, uh, the box set, the VHS mm. box set, and uh, the if one anybody with can remember, the whole Enterprise. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. everybody picked that one up, and so then that's when I, and I had the widescreen versions as well, so I watched them straight through um, chronologically. So that was probably the first time I experienced those movies. So, and it was m- most likely in the maybe early to mid oh maybe longer than that maybe late 90s mm-hmm. it could have been because that's when i started you know it started working had some extra money and instead of buying soundtracks i would also buy 
like used VHS and things of that sort. So yeah, I saw it on VHS and, um, I, you know, I heard all the bad things about it hmm. and, but I, I loved it and it really was one of the first times that I experienced James, uh, sorry, Jerry Goldsmith's score as well. Mm-hmm. And I'd always been hesitant to pick up the album because I really didn't know much about it. And so when I heard it, um, I fell in love, but again, it was years later before I was then finally introduced to it again on CD through a great compilation on Perez Saraband Records called Frontiers, and they did an amazing recording of the Enterprise with Jerry Goldsmith conducting the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, and that's when I it clicked with me. The music clicked, and of course, um, I think there was a 20th anniversary CD release that came out and that's where it was like, yeah, I'm in love with this score. And it, uh, has turned into my very favorite, uh, Jerry Goldsmith score. And I also really, really enjoy, uh, the movie as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's not what people may have thought, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a You're lot right. of people uh, were hoping for something else. Um, but this was a really actually not too bad of an introduction into the movie franchise for Star Trek. Not to me. I mean, I thought it was a good introduction to Star Trek for the movie. Um, and you know, when people go back and listen to our episodes of Star Trek two, three, four, and five, they'll find that we often have compared Star Trek with Star Wars. And we're going to do that again today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it makes sense. Well, it does, because when did Star Trek, the motion picture, come out? 1979. What was it on the curtails of? Star Wars. It was on the curtails, or, well, anyway, the tails of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Star Wars A New Hope and mm-hmm. so there was marketing that was like huge because there were shows coming out like Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon and then uh, Gene Roddenberry he was noticing that there were a lot of Star Wars fans but he didn't want uh, to cash in on that type of filming um, he wanted his own thing you know he wanted uh the story to be uh more sophisticated complex and um not any major battle sequences except for maybe the klingons and it's no comparison with star wars and so it was really i thought just really well done especially with having the introduction, uh, the theme, which Jerry Goldsmith did, um, to be something unique, something that stood out, and that was used much later with Star Trek The Next Generation, as well as, as we've talked about, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. So isn't that really unique that, Gene Roddenberry really grabbed hold of it in a different way. Yeah. And there's no way, you know, a thought process like that would, would happen 
today, right? You'd be like, all right, what's the what's the big movie hit? All right, we've got mm-hmm. to create something just like that. And then look at just what you know action track has become with J.J. Abrams. It's just mm-hmm. action. And they're entertaining movies, but Star Trek The Motion Picture, you're right. It was it was riding the coattails of uh, Star Wars, um, but they didn't want to create a another Star Wars in Star Trek because that's that's not what Star Trek is all about. Mm-mm. And what I liked is that this movie stayed true to Trek to Roddenberry's uh, vision, and it was a pure science fiction film and it mm-hmm. also you know the, the star trek mantra of exploring you know or discovering new life and new civilizations it's exactly what we get at the end of this movie mm-hmm. and what i do love about it and someone mentioned this in a in a comment on one of the uh, on a video in a on a youtube um star trek video is that this movie ends with earth being saved not by phasers and photon torpedoes or conflict, but it's mm-hmm. saved through comprehension, communication, and understanding. It's still a big visual feast. I mean, mm. the visual effects are incredible, but you look just at the ending of this movie, and it's not a big battle. Nobody dies. It's mm-hmm. a wonderful mystery. It's a journey and you take it almost in real time with the crew of the enterprise and you get to see some of the most stunning visual effects and just pure art sort of uh in the same similar vein of 2001 a space odyssey where scenes are just allowed to open up and you get to experience it and, you know, people call this the slow moving picture. I honestly hate that joke, mm-hmm. but it's it's there's purpose to the long scenes. You know, the 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 reveal of the Enterprise is a long reveal because you're experiencing it with Kirk. Um, you know, the whole flyover V'ger. It's mm-hmm. a enormous sequence and you're 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 experiencing it with the entire crew and you you feel the scope of of what they are experiencing mm-hmm. and and what i do love about it like you said minus the opening sequence you know there's no explosions or there's mm-hmm. no fighting i mean we get that later on in star trek too mm-hmm. but it like i said it's pure science fiction it's a great it's story exploration. and it's exploration and that's what i love mm-hmm. about star trek i mean i look i do love myself a good action movie and and as we've said star trek 2 i think in my opinion is the best star trek movie but there's more to that movie also than there is just action. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that audiences weren't prepared to see a movie of this sort at that time, especially, like you said, coming off the coattails of Star Wars. I think they were expecting another big space opera. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much why the film eventually failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, with you talking about how the film had these long shots and slow moving action, but it's like you're going through space. You're moving mm-hmm. at a slow pace. And it's a lot like a comparison of 11 years prior with 2001, a space odyssey, 
because that movie was very slow. It wasn't action-packed. There wasn't great amount of action. It was more of a cerebral, actual science fiction exploration film. And I really liked that about, you know, as a comparison with both of those, that they're both uh, very um, exploration oriented. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just I just found just the concept even of Star Trek, the motion picture to be visually stunning for the fact that I mean, yes, they they used matte paintings, they used uh, electrical uh, effects and practical effects to make things look amazing. And there was animation, and I found it cool that they were using like uh, white paint on black paper, and then they photographed it and made transparencies using positive and negative, and um, different camera positions and I thought it was just really cool but it's just you know it, it makes the film stand out to be not just some action movie and that's what they went for even with the three issue comic they did for Marvel um, which I have the first two issues of mm. <laughs> of the uh, three issue adaption like I couldn't find the third issue which eventually I will find it. Um, but uh, as of right now, I can't find it. And that came out in December of 1979. So, you know, when we, I mean, we look at even the idea of V'ger, what, what do you mainly think of when you think of the V'ger, or as we know it to be, Voyager 2, Um what do you think of it? Like the concept of it? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's what makes the mystery so great. I love the reveal. I absolutely mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. It also is is something that had happened recently, you know, the 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 the, the Voyager Was it Voyager 2? When mm-hmm. was that launched? It was launched like recently or like within the, you know, 10 years of this film coming out. So people knew yeah. what it was. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a wonderful idea of all right, it's been shot out into space. Where did it go? And this is what happened to it when it decides to come back home. And it's swallowing up galaxies and planets and things mm-hmm. of that sort. And it's just it's 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 just searching for knowledge and mm-hmm. of course searching for you know its creator, which um, it's just the meaning of life, right? You know, mm-hmm. who am I? Well, why am I here? And I just think it's a it's a wonderful human story. It's a wonderful piece of science fiction, and I, I just I love the con- I, that's what I love the concept of it, and I just love that throughout the whole entire movie you have no idea what it is, and I dare anybody to say that they knew what it was and and, and could pick it up and knew what V'ger stood for, mm-hmm. and I just I I I love that concept, and every time that 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 reveal is made, it's it's fascinating, and I mean that whole finale is just it's absolutely breathtaking mm. so i i i love the concept and again because it ends with the birth of a, of a new life form and mm-hmm. that's that's just star trek that's just pure mm-hmm. star trek and and it's um yeah i i think it's a it's a i mean it's 
I mean, to be totally honest, you know, some of the major players take a backseat to the to the plot, and you know the 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 relationships don't really get fleshed out um, in this film. Um, you know, it's mostly on Deckard and in uh, um, Aaliyah, and mm-hmm. and I'm fine with that because you know in later films, especially Star Trek Five, you know that's or well, well in Star Trek Two of course, but mm-hmm. you know we get to explore their relationship throughout the rest of the series. I'm thank and thank God that they continued on with the mm. series. Um, but I could see that, you know, they, these aren't the, these aren't necessarily the characters that you probably knew Thought from of. the television series and you probably yeah. wanted them to interact a little bit more, but, um, you know, I will sacrifice that for, for this story. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about um, the effort that they took to actually make the movie, I mean, it had technical consultation from NASA mm-hmm. um, through the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California with the Institute of Technology. And then um, they also, this was actually really cool, they had technical um consultation from Isaac Asimov which wow. was cool um because he was a former astronaut um and then you know they used different technology that they had available like uh they just they used different things to make it seem more real like the enterprise was an actual character and we've talked about that before that the enterprise is like a character and they made it more real like you know they they took some effort into setting up the the sets and the the bridge and uh different ways of making even these matte paintings seem to pop to really pop for the audience and i think that's a big thing for the film itself that you know things needed to be very visual very stunning and almost like a neo-nostalgic type feeling to the whole film yeah the you know and to think that you know early on in production you know the special effects team that was working on this movie we're just weren't getting things done um yeah so the production team so the production team i mean they, they fired the the special effects coordinators and i think it was a a year before this film had to be done and they just mm-hmm. went to the top and they spent you know they spared no expense on the two guys that they brought in which was douglas trimble and john dykstra and uh these guys these guys knew what they were doing and mm-hmm. but they you know they needed the money in order to finish this thing on time. And, you know, the legend is that they were working on special effects right up to like the, the last minute, even like the last days before a print had to be sent to, I think what was the premiere in Washington? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Jerry Goldsmith was scoring right up to the last second as well. And so, um, I mean, who knows what the effects could have looked like um, if we were kind of stuck with the, the old production crew and yeah. You know, and, and what what are we what are we left with? We're left with just the the utter genius of two of the greatest special effects guys 
uh, working uh, that have worked in film. Um, yeah. Well, think and it's about uh, this. it's visually, I mean, the Enterprise looks gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, so the the shots are, I mean, Robert Wise, you know, loves a a, a long shot. He loves slow pacing, you know, with his movies. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's kind of a trademark for him uh, that the the film is paced the way that it is. But I really do appreciate it, and uh, and it's. Yeah, I think as this film ages, I think it gets better with age as long, you know, mm-hmm. every time you see it. The only thing that doesn't work for me is kind of the Art Deco um, design of the Enterprise itself and, and the uniforms, which mm-hmm. I'm glad they fixed in Star Trek 2. Mm-hmm. Um, besides that, um, I mean, the, the effects aren't flawless, but they just feel real. They really yeah. do feel real and there are just some splendid um you know like the 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 reveal of the enterprise right at the end you know after deckard and vidra come together Mm -hmm. and you know there's this um almost kind of like this explosion of light and then we see Mm -hmm. this lens flare and and the enterprise is coming towards the camera jerry goldsmith's theme is majestically playing away it's there's just some like you said, the Enterprise is a character, and it's this these just beauty shots of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. It's they're in love with this ship. They love this ship. They know it's important. And um, I mean, even the 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 I love the way it goes into warp. Um, you know, there's so many great things in this in this movie. I mean, there's even like shots that are set up in this film that were set up later for like even TV shows, and you know, just the way that ships were were shot um you know in, yeah in ladder, that's a good example right so like you know there's like that um moment right at the end where they are about to take the ship out for another test spin and there's that shot from underneath the enterprise right and it's it mm-hmm. almost seems like it's the the, the final shot in the um, the next generation opening as well it's a shot from underneath and it kind of um it uh, it travels around the ship and then it, you know the ship goes into warp and um, very similar in the motion picture to you know what was eventually shown in in uh, Next Generation and I've been watching Deep Space Nine catching up mm-hmm. on that and there's so many similar you know si- ship shots mm-hmm. that and effect shots that come from the motion picture so it's influenced people and like I said it it took two of the greatest special effects guys to come on board and ask for all the money in the world and created something special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so many things of Star Trek, the motion picture influence other things in Star Trek. I mean, you mentioned it um, with like even Star Trek, the next generation uh, with deep space nine with other Trek films as well. You know, we get that some long shots in, the final frontier we get some of that and then you also think about some of the characters some of the people um and how different things say in star trek the motion picture uh lead to theories of other things that may have changed with like the progression of the star trek universe um I'll I'll give you an example. 
there's a line spoken by Spock, and it's any show of resistance would be futile, Captain. Mm-hmm. It's a pre- it's a precursor to the line by the Borg in Star Trek The Next Generation. There was speculation as to the creation of the Borg. And William Shatner used that to fully realize the concept in his Star Trek novels, which showed the Borg resurrected Kirk along with Spock, Picard, and the crew. They discovered the modern Borg were born from the merger of Captain Decker. And <laughs> that uh, although it's not considered canon now, but uh, it was unique to look at that side of things that it could imply. So it wasn't Voyager 2, it was Voyager 4, my mistake. Um, it had arrived crossing a black hole to land on a planet with living machines. And so what happens? Oh, it's the Borg's home world. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, you know, I mean, it's these concepts, it's these ideas that were spawned by Star Trek, the, the original, the motion picture. Yeah. And so many different things of even, okay, so here's the next example. When you go and watch any old episode of Star Trek, the original series, and you see an episode with the Klingons, what is the most notable thing you notice about the Klingons? Uh, are they bald? No, they I have can't... no face ridges. They have no face. Oh, really? In the original series, they're just, taint, you know, like Asian guys or, you know, they're... They're guys that just have no ridges. They're oh, just you're right. Yes. Uh, eyebrows and I think something with the ears or something, but, right. but no ridges. Yeah, they're bald in Discovery. It, yeah. 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 Um, but they have like shorter hair mm-hmm. and sort of like, um, is it like a, like these Fu Manchu type of mm-hmm. um, mustaches? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's in, yeah, it's, yeah, Klingons are a mess in, in Star Trek. Yeah, um, but I mean, you know, with uh, the motion picture, you get the first appearance of them as ridged forehead Klingons, huh. and uh, it changed the whole dichotomy of the look of the alien um, due to budget constraints, uh they could only give them dark makeup. Uh, well, like in Star Trek, the original series, they had budget constraints, so they couldn't do the full like head makeup, mm-hmm. you know? So they were able to do it later with um, the other shows and other movies and um, changing the whole thing. And as you're watching Deep Space Nine... You're finding out. Have you reached the um, trials and tribulations? Tribulations? No, I'm on season three. Okay. So well, yeah, I'm. That, I'm just getting that through episode the episode. Yeah. We'll show you more because that's all oh, right. That's where they go back to the there's Enterprise. There's a joke. Right? There's yeah, a okay. joke about it. Oh really? Okay. And uh, yeah, <laughs> right. and um, it's just unique. 
but you know, we can go on and on about how the film has a presence. It has this unique feeling of, I don't know, awe. Mm-hmm. It has a, it has an awe feeling mm-hmm. like you can, you have to almost sit back and appreciate the art of the film Mm-hmm. especially with the score. The right. score really makes the film. And an example that I can think of in regard to Jerry Goldsmith and how it's in comparison to an overture for a film, uh, you know, for an epic film, and it would be the black hole mm-hmm. because the black hole, which was scored by John Barry, it had a very long, uh, introduction like overture yep. at the beginning of the film. Yep. And with Jerry Goldsmith, he did that, um, with Lillian's theme. Right. And he had to rush to finish the rest of the, the film and it impacted the score. So the final recording finished only five days before the film's release. Right, right. Yeah. That's crazy. So, yeah. And, but it was kind of, it was kind of an influence, you know, even though they, though these two films came out within the same year, the black hole and Star Trek, the motion picture, um, but they were very comparative, you know, with the score. Oh yeah, I mean they both used the blaster beam, mm-hmm. which is which is which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that that's was technology a, that had been invented. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, what's his the Huxley's his name? That's his last name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. What's his first name? Oh my goodness, oh, I can't believe I can't remember yeah. it now. <laughs> and anyway, I yeah, thought I even had it in my notes, but yeah, I the can't master beam is an, an incredible, yeah. um, an incredible device, and it's just—I mean, well, like Jerry Goldsmith always um, experimenting with electronics and different sounds. I mean, you just listen to the Planet of the Apes, and you know, you can get mm-hmm. a sense of of who Jerry Goldsmith was and what he did, and um, you know, bringing in uh, the blaster beam. Um, was a uh, Craig Huxley. That's his name. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Was, you know, 15 it's, feet long. It's incredible. It had, yeah. It had artillery shell casings, motorized magnets. Uh, and it, it was invented, you know, by Huxley. Yeah. And he had portrayed Kirk's nephew, Peter Kirk in the episode Operation Annihilate, which I don't remember what episode mm-hmm. that was. Right. But it had steel wires connected to amplifiers fitted to the main piece of aluminum, and the device was played with an artillery shell, which Jerry Goldsmith, he was always experimenting mm-hmm. with sounds and devices and using different things in his scores. And, I mean, he did it with Planet of the Apes, like you mentioned. He did it with Alien. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he used so many different things, which was really cool. And then using synthesizers, yep. which was that among some of the very beginning of synthesizers? Yeah, he was one of the first ones to really adopt it. I mean, he wasn't the first person, but if you listen to some of his early uh, television scores, he's using a synthesizer. He just felt like it was another color of the the orchestra. And, mm-hmm. you know, if he can add add that type of element to a score to, you know, make it unique and, and give it its, its own unique presence, um, he, would, he would use it. And, I mean, there's a few scores of his that are just purely synthesizers and Mm -hmm. um you know sometimes he got it right and sometimes it sometimes didn't work um but there are films that definitely benefit from it and you can tell right off the bat uh you know for instance listen to the rambo series of scores i mean there's a distinct sound um of those scores based on the synthesizer listen to supergirl there's that sweeping um, kind of whooshing uh, electronic sound that's in it that gives that score its unique uh, palette. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can run up and down Jerry Goldsmith's career, and I think rarely will you find a score that is just purely orchestra without some sort of electronic uh, backing behind it. The the I mean, God, I can't even remember the last score that he wrote that was just purely orchestral it was you know because he was always he was, he was always, always adding, using synthesizers yeah. he was always using sounds yes. and so it he was, was and that and that's what kept different. him yeah and it's what kept him fresh it's, it's what gave him i mean there's many other things also that gave him his own distinct sound but i mean if you look up and down of jerry goldsmith's filmography and, and even his work on television or in radio i mean even go back to stuff the stuff in the rate on radio you listen to some of his scores and you would swear they were they could have been written in in the year you know in the 21st century mm-hmm. you know he he adapted his sound but he always had his own his own sound his own devices the his own way of 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 writing um you know odd meters here and there and 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 the way that he you know very much there aren't too many composers that you're like wow that's that guy, mm-hmm. yeah, but you could pick out a Jerry Goldsmith score in a second, and he was That's always true. doing something. But here's the thing: he's always doing something different, but also staying within his wheelhouse. That would make it a Jerry Goldsmith score. Yeah. And uh, it's the same for for this film as well. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, he in was... fact, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Uh, in fact, when we think about it, that Jerry Goldsmith, he not only used like synthesizers, he not only used sounds, but he also used original themes mm-hmm. from the original series. Oh, yeah. Like he used Alexander Courage's Star Trek theme three times through the movie. Um, one was, well, each time it was in regard to a captain's log dictation. Right. And so the three times are when just before Kirk engages the Enterprise's first warp test. The second is when Spock is making his repairs to the warp drive. And the third is when Kirk and McCoy are watching Decker and Lilia probe from Kirk's quarters. Mm -hmm. So it's unique that 
he used those to really almost solidify the series to the movie and to show Alexander Courage's theme was very important to the creation of Star Trek. And it made it such a unique way of using it in the theme, you know, in the movie, uh, to be part even of the main title piece, which is really cool. I just, I just love that. Yeah. And what's actually interesting about that is, um, you know, Goldsmith didn't do those adaptations. So it was Mm -hmm. the original Star Trek composer, Alexander Courage, uh, and Fred Steiner who were doing those captain's log um, cues. And mm-hmm. um, I think they were also helping out with other aspects of the score just because, you know, the creation of the score is just so absolutely, I mean, the story behind it is just absolutely bananas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, that's, it's just funny that, and the thing is, I don't, I'm trying to think, and I could be getting my facts wrong, and I'm not really sure whether, whether Goldsmith was initially thinking of using that theme in this score and whether that was something that was put in after or later. And that's maybe one of the reasons why he didn't adapt it himself. And I could be totally wrong on this one. And I, I could well, probably I was... also be thinking of James Horner because James Horner had mentioned that he didn't really want to use the courage theme um, yeah. all too often, but he, he did quite a bit but... in his scores. I don't know, Um, because it just says the information that I have in my notes. So this is verbatim in my notes. Uh, He scored the film over a period of three to four months, a relatively relaxed schedule. But the time pressures resulted in Goldsmith bringing on colleagues to assist in the work, which was Alexander Courage, uh, which provided the theme and then... uh, provided arrangements to accompany Kirk's log entries while Fred Siner wrote 11 cues of additional music, notably the music to accompany the Enterprise achieving warp speed and the first meeting with V'ger. Yeah, so, those warp cues are amazing. Yeah. Those are so awesome. The, the, the arrangements of Goldsmith's um, theme are just some of the best in the score. Mm-hmm. And that's funny, yeah. I mean... You know, that theme almost didn't exist. And, I mean, heck, even Jerry Goldsmith's score was almost tossed out because, you know, they they, they heard, what, six cues or six, maybe six to eight cues that were originally recorded. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were, the production was like, well, there's just something not right about the cues. And I think they also said it sounded like, you know, ships sailing instead of spaceships. Kind of funny, yeah. though, because that's something that James Horner would adapt in, in his scores. You know, he wanted sailing ships, that kind of like swooping sailing sound. And so they were like trying to figure out like, you know, this all sounds like, you know, sailing music. And mm-hmm. uh, but then I think it was Robert Wise that eventually said, you know what the problem is? There's no theme. There was a yeah. germ of a theme in these, yeah. you know, those first cues that you can hear so Goldsmith. Yeah, well, yeah, you can hear kind of elements of what would eventually become the Star Trek theme, but Goldsmith didn't have a theme when he recorded those cues. And so then he went back and reworked those cues, especially the Enterprise. I mean, if you listen to the original version of the Enterprise, it's 
almost there. But mm-hmm. then once that theme is crafted and then inserted into that queue and, and reassembled, um, it just comes alive. And I mean, now you're thinking, you know, this is, it's a classic theme. It's, you know, arguably the most recognizable Star Trek theme, um, of them all. And, uh, yeah. but it almost didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because of so many, uh, let's say production problems, maybe, I don't know. Well, yeah, the production problems also, I mean, he was looking at blank screen, blank, blank slates and screens, like where it was like, there was an effects shot and they're like, Oh, well, this is when this and that happens. And he, you know, he's trying to make this stuff up as he goes. So that's why the recording sessions, you know, lasted right up to the last second. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean, the fact that the, the fact that he was able to craft what he did mm-hmm. you know, and create one of his greatest masterpieces um, just goes to show you, you know, how special of a composer, um, you know, Goldsmith was. And 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 just uh, the fact that this score is also so cohesive. I mean, it could have been all over the place mm-hmm. but everything just blends into one another perfect it's it's an incredible symphony i would love to listen to this as a as a symphony mm-hmm. um, just on its own because there's just some just some gorgeous writing i mean you know we were talking about um I mean, well I let's talk about, about some of them well we uh, one thing was like what's so great about this movie and and you know the Goldsmith was gifted a movie mm-hmm. with not so much dialogue. So yeah. his score was essentially, you know, pushing the drama, but telling the story and he was up front and center in the mix. So, I mean, the enterprise Q that's six minutes of almost no dialogue, the Klingon battle. It's, you know, you can hear it completely. The flyover V'ger it's, it's essentially just music, um, you know, leaving dry dock, uh, you know, everything that music plays such an important role in this film, more so than most films that are that are out there. I mean, music always plays a key part, you know, telling you certain emotions or making you feel certain things that aren't there. But you don't have the right score in this picture. Um, yeah, it doesn't work at all. And it, all the feels that you get from the film are because of Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith mm-hmm. saved the movie. He definitely, I mean, uh, like Dystra yeah, Trimble no, definitely saved no it. There's no other question. Yeah, because... but Goldsmith is the one that, yeah, he basically saved it dramatically. Yeah, and when we really, you know, we're breaking down these cues a little bit here to be able to discuss them and to really appreciate the music that Jerry Goldsmith had, um, first let's talk about the main theme in the Klingon battle, leaving dry dock and the enterprise. So let's talk a little bit about the main title in the Klingon battle. Uh, what, what do you note regarding the Klingon battle? What did it, let's see, the word that I would look for would be iconic this is mm-hmm. this set the standard for what the Klingon theme would become for the entirety of the series. Yeah, and it set the sound for what Klingon music was going to be 
um, I mean, not just the theme, but the way that it was written, it was primal mm-hmm. music. And so James Horner adopted that in his scores. Um, the television series, um, Next Generation, you saw Klingons, mm-hmm. that similar type of sound, not necessarily the theme, but the specific sound of, you know, tribal um, Like an organic drums. percussion. Yeah. And so you knew that... Yeah, so Goldsmith's the one that established the sound of the Klingons. You're right, and and it's just it, it, it's a it's a wonderful concert work. It goes from you know your main title, a, a kind of a short um, burst of it, um, mm-hmm. and then right into this this I guess the only action uh, scene in the entire <laughs> uh, movie, mm-hmm. and. You know, you you're getting hints. Well, not hints. It's played like once V'ger shows up, the blaster beam is right in your face. But you get this incredible, driving, primal, militaristic theme for the Klingons, and it's it is it is fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. It's the only way I can think of. Um, you know, it's it's just barbaric. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these guys aren't aren't tame and what's nuts about it is that i mean they 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 present a threat because they're the first thing you see and you're wondering oh okay it's the klingons but then you realize that they are fighting not the federation but this you know the viger and mm-hmm. they are completely outmatched but the might of the klingons are perfectly portrayed by um goldsmith's incredible um, I think you mentioned it as like a battle cry for mm-hmm. the Klingons. So yeah. it's it's a stunning it's a stunning piece. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, then we uh, think about leaving Dry Dock. Um, oh yeah. This is a very long time, but it's so like I had mentioned earlier. It gives you the feeling of awe. Because this is like, uh, it's a new enterprise. Like, it's not the enterprise that they used to go on their five-year mission. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a brand new enterprise. This is a new ship. And you're seeing a new design. And it's like you just have this, this gorgeous long shot of them leaving dry dock. And it's beautiful with how Jerry Goldsmith really uh, used his music to really make us appreciate what they were doing. Yeah, and what is um, interesting is to um, contrast the original version of the cue that he wrote and then the um, the new version, of course, because he had to incorporate the... The new, um, the new main theme. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you listen to the original Leaving Dry Dock, it's more of a kind of like this sweeping, um, slower, more majestic type of cue where mm-hmm. um, the new version is way more punchy. It's way more bold. It, it's like a giant fanfare, uh, a perfect um, send-off 
for this for this new version of the enterprise and um you know i'm glad he went back to it i'm glad he changed uh he changed his mind about the way that he felt about the the scene and again it also could be because he finally got the effect shots and saw what you know he was finally scoring to and he might have changed his mind that way but i really do love the the use of just those heavy percussion hits um in the track and it's mm. a, just a, a wonderful almost heroic send-off of the ship in this film yeah and it's it's really well done um and so the last one i want to discuss before we actually play these is um the enterprise now <laughs> throughout our time that we've discussed star trek wouldn't you say that the enterprise is one of the most valuable characters of the film oh yeah yeah <laughs> you just go through our our other discussions of these movies and yeah i mean yeah the enterprise is I mean, every time you see it, there's always just this sense of awe. And it's like you're kind of glad that it uh, it's there on screen. I mean, it, it just hits you when the Enterprise is is, um, is uh, destroyed in, in Star Trek Three, And even Kirk says to Bones, you know, it's like, my God, what have I done? Mm-hmm. And you're watching it crash into uh, the Genesis planet. And, I mean, the same thing happens in Generations. I mean, you just become accustomed to these yeah. ships and... And it's amazing how they, you have these feelings for them. And it's just, the, and again, it's the way that they film them. They make, they, they make these ships special mm-hmm. and it's sort of the same thing in star Wars, you know, the millennium Falcon, like no other ship in that series, you know, just brings people to their feet mm-hmm. and it's just, you know, they're just so lovingly cared for. Mm-hmm. Um, in these films. And I mean, I guess you can say, you know, to, to Robert Wise, he's one of the reasons why we, we love these ships because of this, this sequence where we finally get to see um, the new Enterprise. Yeah, exactly. So now let's play these cues.
All right, so we've delved into the music of Jerry Goldsmith 
<laughs> we're going to think about two other ones that stand out really, really well. And that's Lila's theme. Or is it Lilia? Uh, Ilia. Ilia. I-L-I-A. I-L-I-A. Yeah. Weird name. Yep. Ilia. Or name. no, wait, sorry. Ilia. 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 Okay. Ilia. Sorry, everybody. Um, and Viger Flyover. Um, what do you think of these two, Eric? Well, I mean, the first time we hear Ilya's theme is, is through the, the film's overture. Mm-hmm. And it is, actually, it's I think it's the first theme that Jerry Goldsmith wrote and had um, before he recorded those first um, six um, tracks. Yeah, according to my notes, that's, that's what it says. Right. So he had one theme already in his back pocket. And, and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a, just a beautiful, just a beautiful romantic um, theme that is so lovingly composed and it just comes to fruition um, right at the end of the movie as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it plays a, 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 an important role in the end credits as well as it's sandwiched between uh, two amazing statements of the Star Trek, uh, Goldsmith's new Star Trek theme. Um, and it's... it's sorry, well, go ahead. Uh, the, what I was thinking of is how it really solidifies the romanticism that's found between Ilya and Ilya and Decker and their combination of interaction throughout the movie. And you get that theme through their interaction as well. Yeah. And it helps their chemistry because the moment you see them look at each other, um, they have a past and that theme plays and it's just, that's, that's the emotional glue right there. And it mm-hmm. doesn't feel forced. It feels like it's been with them forever. It feels like a theme that we've heard forever. Um, just a, a natural extension of, you know, Star Trek music and, uh, and it, you know, even their relationship, like I said, it doesn't feel forced. It feels natural. It feels like they've known each other forever. And again, that's what makes the, the ending of the movie so special as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's, uh, Oh, um, I wanted to ask what, uh, have you thought about with the V'ger flyover? You know, the whole, um, the whole V'ger sequence is again, just brilliant, uh, musical storytelling. And, um, you know, it's, it's a mixture of dark music. It's a mixture of, um, you know, themes that we've, we've heard or, um, kind of fragments of, of other themes. Um, it almost has this, um, God, I guess pastoral kind of the right word for it. Mm -hmm. It just, um, well, if you think about the, um, like the matte paintings they used, it's very, um, you know, I don't know. It just has this, else. I mean, yeah. Cause I mean, <laughs> you're coming out of, I mean, you come out of an amazing track called the, the cloud and it's, it's quite ethereal, but mm-hmm. as you get into V'ger flyover, you're kind of noticing what the, the, what V'ger has, has 
has done because you're finally experiencing it for the first time and you're seeing these things and it's more um it gets a lot darker i love the use menacing yeah and i love the use of uh, there's an organ um that also plays in the enterprise queue as well um and it's kind of gives it this um uh kind of gothic feel um Mm -hmm. and it's uh but it's 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 just this free flowing cue. Um, it's like for the, for 10 minutes, you know, Goldsmith is just, he's let loose and, mm. and he's just offered a chance to, to create and to, um, he's, he's manipulating your emotions for those 10 minutes. I mean, you're seeing some absolute gorgeous sure. scenery, but you know, Goldsmith is the one that is subconsciously, you know, telling you a story and, and, you know, it goes from kind of this wonder to, to, Ooh, this thing could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and it's just, it's the genius of, of Jerry Goldsmith. And, and I think any composer would, you know, give their left arm to get a chance to, to score sequences like this because they own the scene. They own it. Mm. And I mean, again, it's terrifying because mm-hmm. you are so exposed as a composer that there's nothing that's going to, you know, hide a, hide a mistake and, and you've got to be on your game. And, you know, Goldsmith was just, he was just so good at this. So good at this. And this is, I mean, it, yeah, these, this cue is an incredible and just incredible writing. Yeah. And so let's go ahead and play these two, Ilya's theme and V'ger flyover.
All right, so sadly, we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. I'd like to thank Alexander Shebel for composing Soundtrack Alley's theme music. You can find his work at xanderscores.com. So lastly today, Eric, let's discuss the meld, a good start, which that's a slash, you know, a meld and then a good start, and then the end title. What do you think of these cues? Uh, it's the it's your finale cue. Um, mm-hmm. Everything that is, you know, everything, all the emotions, the story's coming to a conclusion. You're finding out things. I mean, there's a lot that's that's happening, you know, within these. Well, and I was even thinking that. Right. Sorry. Uh, I was even thinking that the meld was is almost a religious type of totally like um like a mantra you know <laughs> yeah there's almost that kind of um that uh, god like jesus like um uh imagery you know when deckard mm-hmm. is transforming um you know and what an effect that is i i love the backlighting i love the effects of of him transforming and in all that surrounding him and ilea and them coming together um, you know, like I said earlier, um, you know, these, these two have a history together and you can just kind of feel the love and, and Goldsmith is portraying that within his, within this cue, he's also portraying kind of the wonder and mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the, the, like what is happening. And, um, it's, uh, but it's also just this great, I mean, Goldsmith's so good at this. He's, he's done this in so many movies. I mean, you think about, um, there's similar cues like this in Total Recall and in the Final Conflict. This build up the scale um, to this this incredible climax, mm-hmm. and it just soars when it hits. And you know Goldsmith was amazing at doing this. James Horner was amazing doing this. John Williams did the sort of same thing. You know they they could build these cues up and just let you have it right at the right moment. Mm-hmm. And but I mean. When this whole sequence is finished, I and mean, as I mentioned earlier, there's this kind of explosion of light, and one of the best shots in the entire film is the lens flare, and seeing the Enterprise coming towards the camera, and, and Goldsmith um, plays uh, another um, arrangement of his Enterprise cue on on just these lovingly strings, and it starts off very quiet, and then gets very bold and triumphant, and it's. Um, it's, I mean, all I can say, it's utter perfection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's just a really well shot um, and well orchestrated um, theme and piece of music that Jerry Goldsmith did. And, and on top of that, he, yeah, yeah he and it, it puts at the it end, all together. Yeah, well, at the end, <laughs> a good start again. This is Fred Steiner um, mm-hmm. handling the arrangements of Goldsmith's main theme. And uh, so he, it's Fred Steiner that basically closes out the film, um, yeah. using Goldsmith's music. But it's a, uh, it's interesting to note that you know you, you got three amazing composers combining their forces um, to create this stunning masterpiece. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And then like with the end title, basically is everything that you've heard through the film put into what six to eight minutes 
Oh, it's shorter Worth than that. Is, that. is it yeah, shorter? Short, yeah. Is well, it? Okay. credits back then That's weren't right. very That's long, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. So you're looking you're at right. maybe, what is it, three and a half minute piece? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and so it's, I think that if Goldsmith had more time, and I think this is why he did it, well, he had a chance to do it well, anyway. Well, because he, start... he did symphonies of this. Like, there's been concert pieces of his Star Trek themes for Star Trek, the motion picture. Yeah. So, and, but I think that if he had more time are a lot and, longer. and there was more credits, I think that he probably would have brought back the Klingon theme as well, mm-hmm. which is the, which is what he did and had an opportunity to um, expand on that piece of music in Star Trek five through his end yep. credit piece. But I think it would have been great that if you'd have that, interpolated into this queue but i think it's just great that um, you go through you know the star trek main theme the new one and then of course your your most important secondary theme um being ilea's theme and it's it gets just a wonderful um uh playing uh during the end title and then of course and then just ends on a on a triumphant note and you're like you said this is the template for uh the end credits especially for jerry goldsmith um you know going forward the way that he would mm-hmm. Um, structure his his end credit cues um, in all the movies that he scored for this series. Oh yeah, yeah. By all means, like even um, even his music for First Contact. Oh yeah. You know, because he was he did the music for First Contact, and didn't he do it for um, Insurrection? Yeah. So he did wrote he Star Trek V of First Contact, Insurrection, and Nemesis. And okay. of course, yeah. he also provided uh, what I think is the best Star Trek theme of all time for Voyager. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he was supposed to actually do Deep Space Nine, um, mm. a chance to. So that was up to Dennis McCarthy. But yeah, um, you know, Voyager's Voyager's my favorite of all time. But yeah, he scored uh, five Star Trek um, movies. Yeah, yeah. So it's you know, it's it's a really fantastic, you know inclusion into the world of star trek um not only you know everyone had a taste of the original series and then they get the movie and it like lit the fire ready for more um so i gotta really tell you it's been a blast to really talk about this to be able to really delve deep into Jerry Goldsmith's score and how his music really affected everything in the film. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if, if you're a Star Trek fan or if you really want to know more, um, and if you like the music they hear on the show, look, the La La Land records, um, three CD set is just the definitive release of Star Trek music. And, you know, if you want to get all of the information that you can, you know, just flip through the, the liner notes. There's also a fantastic book that I have right behind me called The Music of Star Trek, which is written by Jeff Bond. And I think Jeff Bond even li- um, wrote the liner notes for the for the La La Land release. And he goes into great detail about, um, I think it's the scores up to Star Trek Generations. So, oh, cool. you know, if you're interested in that, you know, in, in diving deeper into mm-hmm. the music of Trek. I mean, La La Land Records has released, I think, almost everything um, besides a few of the motion picture um, 
uh, feature length films. I think Entrada and GMP Crescendo sh- uh, shared them, but you know, La Land Records has been doing, oh, and even Film Score Monthly. But um, you know, they've done all the TV shows, and I mean, mm-hmm. it's if you're a Star Trek fan and you're a Star Trek fan of the music, I mean, now is a great time because it's all out there and mm-hmm. just you know, beautifully preserved by these these record labels. Well, yeah, and and like people re-recording the music oh yeah to, you know make it sound better oh and, there's some fantastic recordings out there yeah so and we can that's a whole nother show oh yeah <laughs> absolutely oh we should do that sure. we should totally do that yeah re-recording yeah. star trek yeah that's a it's a really big phenomenon and really fantastic so where can people find you eric Sure. Uh, people can find me, uh, social media is uh, Twitter at Sin Sound Radio. You can find me, uh, on Facebook at Cinematic Sound. Uh, check out Cinematic Sound uh, Radio by going to cinematicsound.net or just search for Cinematic Sound Radio, uh, through your favorite, uh, pod catcher. And, uh, we've got tons of shows, tons of people mm-hmm. producing shows, including you, Randy. Um, so, uh, yeah. We're always busy at Cinematic Sound, and uh, so if you love film music, first listen to Randy's show, and then you know come over to Cinematic Sound. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then um, I'm going to be recording episode ten of Anime Spectacular tomorrow. Excellent. So excellent. Love uh, your shows. I love them. Yeah. I, I'm not. I'm not an anime fan, so this music yeah. is all foreign to me. So I listen to this, th- your shows with, <laughs> um, you know, with great detail, and uh, mm-hmm. I love the stuff you play. So. Well, uh, not to go into too much of a side note, but we can talk about it later. Sure. But it's stuff from my childhood, so. Yeah. Uh, it's it's always fun to really look back on stuff like that. So you can find me through SoundtrackAlley.com, email me, SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com, and then I'm on social media through Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, um, all at SoundtrackAlley. Um, you can find the podcast through several different means, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, there's some new ones that I've never even heard of, such as Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and even Radio Public, which I haven't heard of any of those. But apparently they're, you know, they're uh, draws of different bot- pod catchers. So let's play these last two few cues. And until next time, happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com. <laughs>